Recovery is dependent. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Podcast. I'm Jim Haney, Executive Director. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I am here with Andy. Uh, I'm Andy Daniel. I'm the uh, Outreach Coordinator, Social Media Coordinator for MPN. Yeah, and uh, we are excited to be with you once again. Uh, Today's topic is the 10 Guiding Principles of Recovery. There is no way I don't think we can cover all these in the time of the podcast. So uh, we're going to probably just sort of pick and choose from the list, I'm guessing. So, yeah. So the whole theme for April um, covers these 10 recovery principles. So everything that you see from us that's on social media and uh, our webinar and everything addresses um, these. Uh, 10 things. Um, so, so what are the things? So just a quick uh, quick overview. Um, uh, recovery is person-driven, uh, is through many pathways. It's holistic. It includes peers and allies. Uh, it's relational. It's uh, culturally appropriate. It addresses trauma. Uh, it focuses on strengths and responsibilities. Uh, it's based on respect and uh, also based in hope. Uh, so those are the 10 principles. Yeah, and we, um, you know, this is really um, at the foundation for uh, training for peer supporters. Um, and, you know, these were created uh, by SAMHSA. So these are recognized nationally. Uh, Andy and I didn't sit here and just create these ourselves. Um so if you're not familiar with them and you're like, what are these two talking about? You can just type in 10 guiding principles of recovery or, you know, SAMHSA's uh, recovery principles and it'll come right up. And uh, SAMHSA has a, you know, couple of paragraphs for each one where they describe them in their own words. But today we're going to we're not doing that. Right. We're just yeah. gonna, we're going to talk about our take on them and uh, the role that they played maybe in our own recovery um yeah and just kind of kind of talk about it and uh hopefully you the listener if you don't know about it like i said you'll look it up or maybe you're just hearing about these for the first time yeah um you know i i never really thought about what these principles were before uh i went to uh, ps101 training uh, but a lot of them seem pretty um sort of common sense to those of us who are in recovery, uh, but it's nice to actually put some names to those kinds of things. Um, Like like the many pathways um, I find is really important uh, to um, address, especially uh, in like the substance use um, community that uh, 12 step is the only way um, sometimes is, is what's out there and to know that that's not 
the only way and that um, those things are, are personal to each person. You know, some people need medication. Some people don't want to take medication, but that every pathway is valid uh, as long as it's helping you maintain your recovery. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you know, really important. You bring up a good point. I know in the work that I do and, um, you know, talking to different uh, behavioral health providers around the state, um, I know it's embedded in our training for them. You know, we talk about the different models, the abstinence-based model, the moderation or harm reduction model, and then we talk about the medication-based and those aren't exclusive to 12-step, you know, abstinence is not exclusive to 12-step. Um, medication-based is not exclusive to people with opioid addiction. I mean, those, those terms are, are um, interchangeable between provider agencies. So, you know, somebody who maybe has a diagnosis of bipolar will take, let's say they're taking lithium, that might be the basis of their recovery. That might be where it starts out. They do start taking lithium. It's medication-based until they begin introducing other uh, tools into the toolbox. Um, and so, you know, we try to help organizations. I try to help in, in the training and discussions, help them understand that even something like moderation or harm reduction is a choice for people that we can't just operate with this mentality of you just need to stop doing this substance or ingesting this substance or, you know, getting high. Um, because we don't say that to that person who has bipolar. We don't do that. We don't just say, stop being bipolar, stop being in mania or stop being depressed. I mean, right. It's like, we, we have a different view or somebody who self harms, right. We don't say just, you need to stop doing that. I mean, we work with them on a harm reduction plan. Of course, we would love for them to just stop harming themselves, but there's often a lot more to it, right? There's yeah, and, and you bring up a good point that um, you might start out with a museum, but there might be something later on that, you know, your path changes somewhat. You find something that works better or you're in a different place, and so you need something yeah. different. You don't have to stick with the exact same Right. Like cookie cutter thing that other right. people use. Right, right. And I, you know, uh, I know for myself, I mean, building the toolbox that I have for my recovery, you know, um, that was crucial. And so in the beginning, yes, you know, I took medication and went to therapy and, you know, and so I'm seeing the psychiatrist and went to a mental health center and went to groups and, but there was a lot more. And in the beginning, that's all I could do, Right. But along the way, along that journey, begin discovering other things that begin to help me, like walking, hiking, getting out in nature. These are other parts, and that becomes a big part of my recovery in that we can't pigeonhole recovery and just say, well, it's this. You come here, and so this is what it is, because it's not. There's many pathways, and we have to have options for people. I mean, we have to talk to them about options, like, what have you tried? What would you like to try? What have other people tried, you know, and that's the role where I see peer supporters playing where they get to share what they did. And maybe it's the same, maybe it's different, but what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. And, and being really open about that with people to say, this is my path. It might not be yours. Let's look at what the options 
are and find what fits you yeah. best. Yeah. And this kind of relates back to last month's podcast. It does. We talked about I was thinking the same tools. thing. I, I was actually thinking the same thing. Because yeah. we talked about some of the same stuff. You took yep. some things at one period of time and then yes. replace them with something yeah. else. Later yeah. On. Yeah. And so I'm going to take us uh, to another yeah. one of the guiding principles, which is strengths and responsibilities. And, um, you know, I think for, you know, early in my recovery, uh, the realization that um, there was no magic pill, number one, there was no set of um this is what you're going to do, Jim. You're going to do A, and then you're going to do B, and then you're going to do C and D, and that's what's going to make you better. Uh, when I came to that realization that I needed to be the person taking control, and that um, even if some of the things that I was doing turned out to not be helpful or didn't lead me in the direction I wanted to go, it was definitely beneficial to me to do those things and take that responsibility um, much like a person who let's say is uh, diagnosed with, with diabetes, right? That yep. you can have insulin, you can check your blood sugar. These are tools that a person would be using, but ultimately it is your responsibility to do that. And what you ingest in your body, if you're eating candy bars or drinking tons of soda, What's the result going to be when you go test yourself? You're going to have a high blood sugar, right? So it's like I had to rearrange my mindset um, because I had this notion that I was going to go to treatment, go to a mental health center, and I was going to get better the same way I would if I broke my leg and went into yeah. the hospital, yeah. that they had some sort of model. And after 24 years in recovery, I can assure you <laughs> they don't. <laughs> and so, right, like, yeah. you you know, and so that responsibility piece and then building on my strengths. What were my strengths? Well, I like to research things and educate myself and read and talk to people and learn that way. And so that became a big part of my recovery. And I think that leads us right into the person-driven principle yeah. um, of things that um, that you need to have your own goals. You need to have your own idea of what recovery yeah. is to you. And as yes. peer supporters, you know, we can help people develop those goals, but the goals that we might think they should have are not necessarily the exactly. goals they need to have. Right. Um, I, I remember an example, I think, from PS 101, where um, they were talking about there, there was a woman who was living in her car, and everybody kept saying, we need to get her an apartment, we yeah. need to get her out of her car, and that wasn't what she needed. She was fine in her car at yeah. this point in time. Yeah. She had other goals that were more important than yes. not living in her car yes. at that point. Yeah. And we have to accept that that's where she was. These are the Absolutely. things that we need to do. Eventually, probably she doesn't want to live in her car forever. But right, right, right. But for right now, that's what she wants to do. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if we, if we would just stop and ask people, what do you think would help you? Yeah. You know, and allow people the freedom and the safety to actually say what they think would help them, um, I think that we would get some better results rather than 
here's your treatment plan. I've made this for you. And this is what you need to do because that's what the last person needed to do or the person before that, or like, that doesn't mean that's what's going to work for this person. Or the person 20 years ago. Yeah. Or the person 20 <laughs> years ago. And that, how do we empower the person to take the responsibility and drive their own recovery bus, right? That it's not for the system to drive it. And yes, there are parameters. We have to make treatment plans in order to get paid, right? Because they got to tie yeah. the, you know, what the activities back to the plan. And that's fine. But we, we, we have to include it. And I know for myself, that was a big deal was taking that responsibility that nobody's going to be able to stop me ultimately from killing myself. That's going to have to be me. Yeah. There's tools along the way that I can do, utilize, learn about, you know, try out. But ultimately, there isn't anyone that's going to really do that. And that was a big realization. You know, it's one of those aha moments you have along the way. Right. And and I think it's important to let people know that that when they when they go see their counselor or, you know, some other treatment provider, that they have the skills to say, you know what, that isn't going to work for me or. Yeah. Can we try this instead? You know, giving them yeah. the power um, to be able to talk to them because they might be um, they might be intimidated um, by it. So so that sort of ties in with the respect principle that, you know, we're going to as peer supporters, um, we respect your decisions mm-hmm. and that you can make choices about your recovery and to allow you to sort of demand that respect from other treatment providers that you are a person, you're not just a number or you don't fit into everybody's little, you know, box box that, um, that just because it worked with somebody else or 20 years ago, doesn't mean it's going to work now. Right. Exactly. No, it's a big one. And I think then with the respect, I think, um, asking people about their, their culture, um, you know, family, um, you know, what, what else are you involved in? What else is happening in your life or what things were you involved with and your upbringing and, you know, your home life. Um, I think that's super important. Um, because again, it, to me, it's connected to the respect thing is, do you respect this person who is in front of you? And it makes me think about, um, uh, when a person, says they have cancer, how we react to them and we want to embrace them and comfort them. We go, oh my gosh, I can't believe Jim has cancer. But if you say, I have a mental health diagnosis, that usually doesn't happen. And we let all this other stuff kind of get in the way. And we don't we don't respect the illness itself yeah. the same way. Yeah. You know, we don't look at it like when you say cancer, whoa, the room goes, oh, you know, right? Let's raise money for you. Yes, yes, You know, what can I do? Yes. Yeah. We don't, we do not do that. And and then when somebody does get into treatment, I think talking to them about their culture and their upbringing and um, there may be things that they do or that are part of their culture and some may be helpful and maybe some aren't helpful. 
but the respect that that is their culture and that is a part of it um, and try to do that without judgment, just try to understand and where do we put that in the person's file? Right. That is often not even, there's not even space for that. Yeah, there's not that section on your notes. Yeah. And so it's all very like these actions, like this is what I'm doing. This is step one, step two. But to really take the time to get to know a person, to try to understand a, a lot more in a much deeper level about them um, and ask those questions. And, and culture is, a lot of people think of culture as like your ethnic identity yeah, or, or something yeah, yeah. like that. But but culture is your family or your yeah. church or, I mean, yeah. it's just... Um, yeah. All the subcultures we're a part of, uh, it's endless, right? I mean, yeah. we're a part of so many that we don't, uh, sometimes we don't even realize that we are part of. You know, I know when we do the exercise in PS101 and we ask people to identify the subcultures, some people go, well, I'm not a part of any. But then, like, once a few people start sharing, they get a whole page full. Yeah, it's know? as basic as family tradition. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that sort of ties in with like the the relational mm-hmm. um, piece of this and, and peers and allies. Um, uh, I, I was just talking to some of the other employees on on Tuesday, and some people think that there's a disconnect if it's person driven and it's sort of this is my path, but I need other people. How do you, mm. how do you, you know, how do you balance that? Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's just a matter of, of perspective. Saying something is person driven and it's your choice doesn't mean that you're doing it by yourself. Right. It means that you're making the choices, but you still need peers and allies and good oh, relationships yeah. in order to help that. Because yeah. um, a lot of times what happens is, is when we're using substances or, or we're in a, a depressed state or whatever, we've isolated ourselves yes. from the rest of the world. And so we don't have those personal connections anymore. And right. so we need to start building those. Right. But making the choices about what kind of relationships you yeah. want to have, who we want to, right. to associate with. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think when people are unwell, and I'm no different, um, when when I'm unwell and most people in general, right? Um, you're isolating. You're not talking to people who care about you. Um, you know, when you're depressed and like, yeah, no. I mean, you have to build relationships around you so people can can help you along the way. You may not always be able to do that for yourself, but there's also allies. There's organizations like Montana's Peer Network, like NAMI Montana. Um, you know, these are organizations that may be able to help with things like trainings or webinars or resources um, and knowing who those are and how can I reach out to these other uh, supporters, communities, other cultures even, you know, uh, I mean, I, I would say a 12-step culture, 12-step yeah. group is it's, its, own, yeah. its own culture. You have yeah. your own lingo and it's only certain people only go. Outsiders aren't accepted, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. So, I mean, you have to do that. And peers, getting around other people who are like you, other people who are working on their recovery, that to me is critical. That's, I mean, they're all important. That's one that's, I think, even more important. Um, 
you really getting around other people to know that you're not alone and that other people have experienced this or are experiencing this. And it can start just with that one person. You know, if you've mm-hmm. connected with a peer supporter, say, through an organization or, or something, um, that person is going to open up a, another world of other people who you can connect yeah. with. And so it's sort of your conduit into a, a different social group than maybe you were involved in before. Right, absolutely. And and then that, I think, when you meet other people who are like you, have similar experiences, um, that can provide this sense of hope, right? And so the other other people, maybe at the time, you're feeling completely hopeless. But when you get around other people who have some hope, you begin to think, oh, could I be like them? Could I reach that point that they're at? Um, I This was illustrated to me time and time again when I would go to Montana State Hospital, running groups there for a number of years, and get in front of, you know, a room full of, you know, 20, 30. Um, these are patients at Montana State Hospital and introduce myself and say, you know, I'm in recovery and I too have been hospitalized, you know, multiple times, mental health diagnosis. Uh, you know, inevitably somebody would ask either in the group or after the group, how did you get yeah. Yeah. to be the person in the front of the room? How did you get out of this place? Right. How did you do that? Right. And that's that hope. I mean, that they, they look at you and go, whoa, you know, I could do that. Could I do that? I can yeah. do that. You know, it's like this little process that you go through. It's like, oh, my gosh, like you used to be sitting in one of these chairs. Right. And, and now, it's, yeah. it's like back to your cancer reference. Mm-hmm. People talk about, you know, they, they sort of um, glorify is not really the right word, but if people who have survived cancer, have mm-hmm. beat cancer, right. you know, there's all of this oh, yeah. this fanfare around what a great job you oh, did yeah. and, and you know, and, all yeah, of that. And, and we don't have oh, yeah. that. Yeah. We don't nope. have a nope. you know, I survived. Right. I I made right. it through this difficult right. no, time. We don't we don't have that. Right. Right. We do walks for things like suicide prevention. Yeah. But we don't um, we don't look at suicide attempt survivors the same way we look at someone who might have survived cancer. Yeah. And, and it should be the we same. We should be looking at the same. We should be talking to those people and saying, hey, you know, gosh, I know someone else who's depressed who, you know, is sometimes suicidal. Would you be willing to talk to them? These are the kinds of changes I think we need to make in our society if we're really going to get at these uh, these kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, and just being willing to say, I have a mental illness or I have a substance use disorder or something, just yeah. say it yeah. out loud yeah. helps build that so that, that people will learn that it's not as scary as some people well, think it, it is. Or you can hope. get better. And it you provides hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you become the role model, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think as you move down that journey in recovery, I think um, looking at the other elements of your life. And what I mean by that is the other eight dimensions, um, you know, that it's not just about managing these symptoms, that there's other parts that are probably dysfunctional and not working really well in your life. Um, I know for me, you know, I got on medication 
and started putting on tons of weight. Yeah. And, you know, that, yeah. And that started having an impact on my physical health, the way my self image, you know, the way I thought about myself. And so um, I think examining that holistic part, like all of me, because I certainly didn't hear that, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't hear any of that when I was in treatment or at a mental health center. It wasn't about that. It was all right. symptom-based. Yeah. What, are, what are your symptoms this week? What are your symptoms today? And it was so immediate. Uh, no one was asking me about my financial wellness. Right. Or, you know, right. Right? I'm broke and you're, I'm poor. You know? You're hearing voices today. You know? Let's give you this medication yeah. to stop you from hearing voices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think that um, when you get a little time under you, um, and it's different for everybody, again, different pathways, but at some point, you really have to begin examining those other parts. Um, and we talked a lot about this one, actually, in the last podcast yeah. with the tools, because this is where the other tools start coming in to play, because those other tools are typically addressing two, three, four, five of the dimensions, dimensions at yeah. once, right? Yeah, so... Um... So it's not just about the symptomology. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, and different parts of those dimensions are going to be have different importance uh, to everybody. You know, the spiritual portion might not be as important to somebody as it is mm-hmm. to somebody else. And so, or where you are in your journey. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're not in a place to deal with that right now. Exactly. Exactly. It could be. It could be further down the road. And I think this next one, uh, trauma, addressing yeah. trauma. This is definitely one where you have to be ready to begin addressing it. Yeah, you can't go into that at the beginning and and just yeah. try to plow through that because I agree. because I mean part of the reason that that you've been using substances or or you have this mental illness is because of the trouble that you suffered. Very so well if you're be. not if you're yep. not in a good place when you start addressing that, you're likely to go to relapse or. Yeah become unwell again or, right. or whatever it is and exactly yeah you really have to be ready with this one and, and there's a lot of information out there now i mean um <clears throat> the aces, aces you know that's the big one um adverse childhood experiences you don't know what that is you can you can google that um look it up and start educating yourself if you if you feel like trauma is one of these things I, I'd like to start addressing, do some education, go online, watch some videos, you know, go to some websites. And it's okay to tell your therapist, I'm not ready to talk about that right now. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times they'll say, all right, let's talk about what happened in your childhood. No, I'm not ready to talk about that right now. Let's do something else. Right, right. Because it can be a Pandora's box, if you yeah. know. You know, you open that up, you might feel like, oh, I have some solid ground under myself. You know, I've been in recovery for a while. And then all of a sudden you open that box with some unresolved trauma. Um, it, it can it can set you back. Yeah. It can cause you to relapse um, and really get on a roller coaster um, emotionally, which can, you know, if you're, if you're newer in recovery, that can make fragile ground underneath your feet. Um, but I do believe that substance use, um, you know, addiction, mental health, I do believe it's all connected. 
to yeah. unresolved trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And, so, and that's something that, again, that's just within the last like 20 years yeah. has evolved. That is not something that, you know, no one talked to me about trauma. In fact, I remember the first time a counselor did talk to me about unresolved trauma. I, I remember thinking to myself, what is she talking about? <laughs> I've never been in the military. Right, and that's pretty typical. People are like, no, you can't have PTSD because yeah. you, you won't shut out. I thought, um, does she think I'm a different <laughs> client or something? You know, like, yeah, I've, I've never been in war, you know. Again, it was kind of what we were saying earlier. Um, the military, you know, veterans don't have the corner on trauma and yeah. PTSD, you know, that recovery is not exclusive to 12-step people you know like it, it's just not but somehow in our society we've kind of made it that way you know we kind of like and trauma is also so personal i like yeah. my, my therapist says there's big t trauma and little t trauma but yeah. whether it's a big t or a little t is yeah. really your perspective right what is very traumatic to me might not be traumatic to jim right but that's my perception and and that's how things affect me. And so, you know, don't let anybody tell you, oh, that's not so bad. I had it worse than you did. Because it's a, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, your yeah, experience yeah. is your experience. Yeah, listen to my story. I'll tell yeah. you, you know, right? People, people sometimes do that to you. You go, oh, okay. You know, like the minimizing. Yeah. That was something that my family did a lot of was minimizing yeah. things. It's know? not so bad. It wasn't really that bad. Yeah. What do you mean? You know, like... <laughs> Like, yeah, I think it was pretty bad. Like, yeah, and it's hard when people, especially for, I know for me, family members um, doing that, because then it, it makes me question my own understanding of myself. And I've always felt that that is tied to me having a mental health diagnosis, that it's kind of like, I can't trust my own right, mind. right. And so then when somebody I trust, say a family member in this case, says something like that, it's like, oh, is that just, is that just my mental, my mental health? Like, Am I imagining that? Yeah. Is that not really my, happening to yeah. me? And it's like, it's like eroding already a fragile confidence, yeah, right? Or a self-image that might have some cracks in it. And with good reason, because if you've been hospitalized and, um, you know, and, and really had some difficulties, I think pretty much everyone I've ever talked to kind of agrees with that. I mean, you kind of have a question mark or a crack in the foundation. And then yeah. if somebody you really trust, <laughs> it, it loads that a little more. <laughs> then it becomes a big crack. And it's and big. Then, yeah. And then yeah. you're like, oh, maybe that isn't real. Or maybe I didn't really experience that. Or maybe that isn't really how I feel about it. You kind of get into that weird space of them not trusting your own experience. Yeah, um, and an, an interesting example of that that I that I, I didn't really know until I started, you know, doing this work with MPN was uh, like the hearing voices um, thing and what your perception is of that. Um, for some people, that's okay. Right. The voices don't bother them. Right. Right. Um, and right. if they don't bother you, right. then maybe you just accept it right. and, you know, and that's okay. Right. You know, if they're not telling you to do destructive things and, yeah. and they're not, you know, yeah. uh, it's okay to hear voices. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, this this is a great discussion. Um, and we've hit them again kind of quickly, yeah. a few <laughs> minutes on each one. But if you're not familiar with these guiding principles, I would really encourage you to look them up and, uh, and read about them and think about your own recovery experience. Um, or if you're a family member, how can you help um, your loved one in these different areas? You know, and, and it might be something as simple as, you know, we have this great uh, new poster. We call it the recovery wheel. This is available on our website. And we have the guiding principles on there and um, kind of looks like a wheel. It's got yeah. like a spokes and kind of radiating out. Um, and then it has um, uh, just some kind of pointers for peer supporters and then for the peer. So, you know, the person in recovery. And so, um might be interested in downloading that and taking a look at it. Yeah, and even if your family members aren't really peers, you know, they don't have that experience, yeah. they can look at this and see, well, this is what a peer supporter would do. How can I work that piece into things? Exactly, exactly. So uh, the 10 guiding principles of recovery. Yep, and the hashtag this month is recovery principles. We'll put that in the description. So um, if you have questions or you want to share something about the recovery principles, you know, what what you really connect with, um, especially if you see things differently than what Jim and I do when we're talking right. about this, Absolutely. we want to hear from everybody. So, yeah. you know, post on social media with that hashtag so that right. uh, we can all see what's going on with everybody. Yeah. And we have our webinar every month. So it's the third Wednesday of the month yeah. at noon. And so uh, the webinar always ties into the month monthly podcast. So same topic. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. Um, and you can find that whole list on the website yeah. too. So one last thing before we tune out, we want to mention uh, our recovery conference. The 2019 recovery conference is going to be September 6th in Helena at the uh, Delta Marriott which used to right. be the Colonial Inn. The on, Red Lion. The Red Lion, yeah. yeah. You know, it's on Colonial Drive in Helena. You can go to our website. We have a page, and we're going to keep adding to it. I know we're still, you know, six months out. Yep. Um, but we just released... Uh, we just sent out the call for presentation proposals. So um, it's on the website, too. It's actually on the homepage. Uh, of the website. So we're looking for people who are interested in providing one hour or one and a half hour long uh, presentations. Uh, and the themes for our 2019 conference are holistic or alternative health and wellness, seems like the rest of recovery, um, recovery and wellness skills, recovery education, and recovery programming. So if you think you have something that will fit into one of those themes or, or you know, even if it's kind of a tenuous connection mm -hmm. to it, you know, we, we'd like to see as many proposals uh, as possible yeah. um, so that we can offer a lot of different choices for people who are at the recovery conference. Absolutely. So I think we have eight slots for workshops this year. And so uh, get your proposal in. They're, uh, they're due May 1st. So you got to kind of move on that because we're going to be picking them in June. And so as we pick them, then, you know, then we put that up on the website. And so you can keep checking back. And remember, NPN members, you get in free. 
So if you're not an NPN member, you're somebody in recovery, you might want to think about that. Otherwise, it's 20 bucks at the door. September 6th in Helena. It's lots of fun. We've got the workshops, keynote speaker. We have awards, luncheon. Uh, there's booths and, and tons of like just networking. I yeah. know that's the biggest thing at the conference is people. Connecting with other people in recovery. Yeah. Because especially in smaller places in Montana, you might not have a very big community. And so right. uh, a community of people in recovery. So right. um, this gives you I know a chance. What you meant. <laughs> I know what you meant. Yeah. Well, either way, we're not a very community. big community in general. Yeah. Well, you know, some of us, we, we talk on the phone, uh, or you might see people on the video conferencing or a webinar, but I don't get to meet them in person yeah. except once a year, and it's at the conference. And so uh, we hope that you uh, will join us this year, and we're going to keep you know promoting this all summer, uh, September 6th in Helena, and uh, I think... I think that's it. I yeah. think we've reached the end. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to another uh, Montana Peer Network podcast. And check us out next month. And we'll be uh, having a new topic and a new discussion. Thank you. Thanks. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.